Welcome into another episode of ESPN's, uh, let's call it the Hoop Podcast, because we're talking NBL and we're talking NBA today because the postseason has arrived. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, uh, my colleague up in Brisbane today, this man has just been racking up the frequent flyer miles all over Australia because this is the busiest time of year for Olga Nulich, and he's up in Brisbane right now for the under-18 uh, national championships. Olgs, it looks like you've got a pretty nice uh, hotel room there. Is that the is that a suite? It's not a suite. It's a standard <laughs> king room. It's, oh, it's such it's a not. reasonable place to stay when I'm on not even a junket. I, I pay my own way to come to these things. This is such a reasonable place to stay. And why and why are you not here? Is my real question. Everyone else is here. NBL teams are out here. I saw Liam Santa Maria here. I saw Marty Clark out here as well. Everyone in Australian basketball's out here, except for you, Ken Pittman. Well, everyone that's everyone in Australian basketball is up there, and that's why I'm still down in Melbourne, but I've been on my couch <laughs> watching the NBA play-in tournament, and we are going to get into that. And, Olgs, I promise you one day we will start a podcast without me giving you a drive-by on the opener. But you are on fire right now, and I do mention this, and you have to admit, yes, I like to have a bit of fun, but you are on fire right now with your NBL coverage in particular, and you've dropped some stuff at ESPN.com.au that everyone should really... Uh, have a look at in the last couple of days. So you've dropped the total team spend for all the NBL teams, which I think fans are absolutely fascinated with. It starts a lot of banter. It starts a lot of trash talking, which we love. So the total spend, get to ESPN.com.au and check that out because there's some interesting stuff there. JLA, Joe Lawala Chul is heading back to Melbourne. And this morning, you also dropped a story about a Christmas Day doubleheader. So massive week for you as per usual. Thank you. Um... Yeah, huge week. And while I've been at under-18s, uh, writing reports and trying to put together a, a nice little summation of that tournament, um, I found a little kind of little kitchenette area in the uh, north side basketball stadium. And I found found a way to watch last night's uh, <laughs> uh, Thunder Pelicans playing game, which was really enjoyable. I had a I had a small cohort of, of under-18s players surround me um, throughout portions of that game because I was the only person with a laptop with that game on. Um, but yeah, look, a weird, like absurdly busy time. Um, NBL stuff obviously is kicking off. It's we're getting to to the sort of back end of free agency. There are only a few names left on on that list, and only a few local spots left. And so that's something we're keeping an eye on. Um, the team spend thing is is something that I I hope people get around. I hope it's it's the sort of thing that we can look at. We can it's it's a way for everyone to sort of think really critically about teams and how teams are put together and uh, how roster management works uh you know you look at you know the Adelaide 36 is spending 2.92 million and that from what I understand that's that's a conservative number um and then you you put that next to where they finished uh, on the ladder and so that's how you can judge how how impressive teams were and, and the best example of that as well is the bottom three teams who were Cairns, New Zealand, Tasmania all made the finals um and so it's 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 a really weird phenomenon. There's no correlation between uh, success and total spend. It's 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 a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, let's start on NBA stuff because Giddy just went crazy, didn't he? He did. And we spoke on the phone last night, a few hours after the game. It was probably four or five hours after the game, actually. And you obviously, particularly if you know listeners aren't fully aware, you took a little break from. You're reporting there, and you're working you know, with the Giddy Camp. So I imagine, even though you're you are a fully unbiased reporter, we totally understand that. I imagine that there was, or there is, obviously some connection there with you and Josh. So I imagine it was pretty exciting for you. But I had told you, I said I was still just buzzing last night about yes, what Josh Giddy did, but also this game was just awesome. And the playing tournament, people have their own opinions, but when you get two really really young teams like this, desperate to make that number eight seed, desperate to just give themselves that postseason experience. The Pelicans got it last year, but the Thunder haven't had that. And I think they're ahead of schedule, but this was just two teams that really wanted it. And for the Thunder to get it done on the road and Josh Giddy to get it done on the road, uh, this is a game, I don't care whether it's the 9v10, this is a game that I think if you're an Australian basketball fan or you work in the business like we do, you're going to remember for a long, long, long time. And and I like it because... A playing game, so you, fans and just regular, you know, the casual NBA watcher may not watch 
the Oklahoma City Thunder consistently throughout sure. the season. They might, they probably wouldn't watch the Pelicans consistently throughout a season, especially with Zion going down. I, I get it; they're mm-hmm. maybe not as palatable to watch as, as they as they could be. Um, but you look at both of those teams. You look at the shot making from that game. Um, you look at the pieces that they have. I think, especially defensively, on both teams. Um, and there's just so much hope for both of them. And I agree, the Thunder are absolutely ahead of schedule for, for them to effectively have a, a similar roster except adding you know Jalen Williams the other Jalen Williams and not even Chet Holmgren who's been out with that this Frank injury for the entire season they basically just added two rookies um had Shea Gildas Alexander take a giant leap Josh Giddy took a giant leap and that, that turned them into a playing team and they're one win away from being the eighth seed in the west which is unbelievable considering they still have Holmgren to add and they still have a giant uh, oh. chunk of cap space to fill millions like, of first and round picks <laughs> millions of picks to to use either as assets in trades or to, or to use them and so the team is just really really well constructed um and they're also both teams but i think the thunder in particular they're just really fun to watch you know the you've got you know shay gildas alexander you've got jay dub jalen williams you've got josh giddy they just they just have really fun creators on this team um, and I think just their identity is really cool. I think they the win was well-deserved. It was. And I already mentioned the fact that they do it on the road, which is a big step for a young team. So regardless, they now play Minnesota. To, so we're recording this uh, for full transparency because I think that there will be some people that listen to this podcast after the second game is done because we are doing a full Aussie NBA uh, playoff preview here. So if the game already happens, it's fine. But it's going to be the Thunder and Minnesota on Saturday morning, 11.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time now, not daylight time, standard time. So 11.30. And But I just think, you know, whatever happens with the Thunder now, this experience here, and for Josh, and we want to focus on Josh because we're talking about the Aussies, for him to have this performance in that moment, and it wasn't always perfect, and there was pressure, and there was stuff in the fourth quarter, which we can get into, is going to be monumental for him moving forward. And overall... Most people will be aware, but the 31 points, nine rebounds, 10 assists, only two turnovers, three for seven from three. His performance in particular, we know what Shea Gilgis-Alexander can do because he's been doing it all season. And if the Thunder had won more games, he would be an MVP candidate. But for Josh, who has been putting up big numbers all season long, to have this type of performance with everyone watching, that's why everyone's been talking about Josh Giddy over the last 24 hours. Now, I'll push back on anyone that goes, well, people are just realizing, you know, Australians get defensive and they'll be like, well, now everyone's just realizing that Giddy's... No, no, no. <laughs> everyone knows that Josh Giddy is a good player. There's been no Josh Giddy disrespect out there. But when you put up a performance like this in front of everyone, naturally, you're going to be the talk of the town. Yeah, and I liken it to the fact that I think a lot of us didn't think that he would uh, be this good this quickly in the NBA. And that was during his rookie season. He's 20 and now, the fact that Oggs. He's twenty. He's, he's twenty. He's so he's there's there's a lot out there, but he's like maybe a month older than Paolo Bancaro. He's younger <laughs> than Chet Holmgren. Um, he is younger than uh four. Like I saw this, it, younger than most of the projected top ten picks in the upcoming draft. Right? He is <laughs> a baby relative to the rest of the league and even the guys coming into the league this coming season. Um, and. It was a surprise. And even as part of the giddy camp, we were surprised at how quickly he was able to rise up to that level. And the thing with him is he's always been able to play up to the level that he plays in. Uh, but the fact that he was, be able, he was able to be so effective so quickly was surprising. Um, and that was extremely impressive. And I think that there's a similar thing here where it's his first postseason experience, the first time he's been in a do or die sort of game at the NBA level. And he was able to just rise to the occasion. And outside of the one... Uh, moment where he got hit below the belt uh, he looked really just calm and composed throughout all of it uh, and I think that's the most impressive thing the fact that he's able to keep control of the pace of the game which is something he does throughout a regular season but to keep doing that in a playoff environment um, with not a terrible defensive team in the Pelicans I mean you know that's that's unbelievably impressive and and again I feel like we're going to get in that Jason Tatum that territory where we keep talking about how old he is because it is important um but it is important he is he's 20 years old and so he's quite literally he's not scratching the surface yet on on what he what he could do um 
And I just I just wonder if the Thunder are able to keep this group together for the next few years, like what they're going to be able to do if they all grow together at the same rate. Yeah, that leaves them in a good position, though, because you know, Giddy is, well, let's face it. And I've had this argument with people over the last six months. And I said, well, the Thunder are in a position where they're going to need to give him the max just for the idea of roster flexibility moving forward. You don't let a guy like Josh Giddy go or you don't pay him less. You don't. You just give him the money and you figure it out later. But as the season's rolled on, he's clearly proven that he's going to earn every cent anyway. But it's going to be over $200 million, which is just which is just an absolutely <laughs> hilarious number to think about for a man that's so young. But the thing that I liked about this performance, or let me ask you first, what, what did you like most about his performance yesterday? Um, I like the fact that he uh, lent into his shot, which, you know, it would, that sort of, he was better at it this season than last season, but it sort of fluctuates. Um, and so he kind of lent into that. He, he stepped into shots with confidence. Uh, so I really liked that. Um, I liked his sort of assertiveness when, whenever a ton of bodies were thrown at Shea Gilgis Alexander, and that was they were either denying Shea or they were just sending two guys at him. Just his assertiveness to either catch it in like a short roll sort of area or just get on the rim. Um, I think he knew that you know, if if they're loading up on Shea and we get to play four on four, um, or or I have potentially an opening. Like I think I think he saw that opportunity and really like lent into the idea of creating advantages in an advantageous position anyway. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, and then I also, when he did get hit, I liked the fact that he reacted and he, he wasn't going to sort of, I, I like that he stood his ground. Um, it's, it might be daunting for a young guy in a playoff environment. And it was Josh Richardson, who I guess is, is a veteran who's sort of seasoned. Um, I get it might be tough to sort of stand up for yourself in that environment. You might be a bit scared. No, I think he, he knew that, in order to kind of sort of lift his team and to, to keep the momentum on his team side, he needed to react emotively. And I, I actually think that helped. And I think that's like a part of his growth as well, as far as, yeah, like I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to lean into these environments. I thought he was in control when he did it. He started walking towards him, but I never felt that he was going to launch himself at Josh Richardson. But then afterwards, no. I liked, I liked the, it was like a mature veteran points that he gave him was like a disappointed father and he's like don't do that again and i liked it that is he does come across the way he plays the way he controls the offense he's a mature player for someone that is so young and i thought that that was a mature response he didn't take it too far but he absolutely alerted everyone in the building to what just happened which is also something that you need to do as well i don't know whether he was really that rattled or hurt from the hit but it happened. It was a flagrant foul, and he made sure everyone was aware of it. And then just the old man, father, don't do that again, young fella. So I loved it altogether. <laughs> I thought it was awesome from Josh Giddy. Now, after that, and this is what I, I like about this, after that, there were a few moments, and things didn't go perfectly well for the Thunder. So he splits those free throws. So he hit the first one, which is a big moment because the crowd's booing. He almost had a little smile on his face. It looked like he was enjoying it. But then after that, it, things got a little challenging for the Thunder and over the final few minutes there, he had a couple turnovers. He was over three from the field. And it's like, okay, are the Thunder young team, are they going to cough this up? And it wouldn't have been his fault, to be clear. But then he gets to the free throw line with 12 seconds to go on the road in that moment and he knocks them both down. And that that is huge. That is, that is a great, uh, that is great composure from him and confidence and ability to soak in the moment and get it done. And credit to the entire Thunder team, who mm-hmm. were the, the youngest team in the league. For I think they went eight of eight from the free throw line down the stretch. That's really tough to do, let alone in a play-in game, let alone on the road, uh, let alone having never been there before. Uh, that's that's unreal for a team like that to do that. Um, and I just think, I just think all the pieces really fit. I, I think. The Thunder did this weird thing of really leaning into just getting a lot of like funky creators, and and I think it's I think it's paid off, um, and and I I wonder how they're going to go in the playing game against the Timberwolves, um, where I think they they often struggle against bigger guys, and so someone like Carl Towns might be someone who goes to work against them. If they get to the, the eight seed and they go up against the Nuggets, I think someone like Nikola Jokic is someone who's going to you know cause them a ton of trouble. He would regardless, but I think they they 
often struggle guarding bigs. Um, but at the very least, they seem battle-tested, which is so weird for a team that clearly isn't, right? They they haven't been in this situation before, but they look like they had. Well, it's a hilarious roster, and this is the, the final point. We'll move on to the rest of the Aussies, but it's a hilarious roster because I guess Shea Gilgis-Alexander is the veteran. He's 24. Dario Saric came off the bench, and he is a veteran, but he only played 11 minutes. So they're just playing a rotation of guys that are 22 or younger virtually. So it's it's insane, insanely fun, let me say that, what they're doing at the moment. And you know, sometimes we talk about getting it done on the road in a postseason environment, but the one thing we learn from watching as much basketball as we do, sometimes the young guys just don't care they enjoy it and they enjoy the fact that the crowd is booing them and cheering for the other team. And it looked like the thunder uh, certainly fit into that category. So for Josh, a a couple of final numbers here. So you mentioned his ability to shoot the three. So he knocks down three triples on the night, which was obviously significant. The other thing that was significant is just his ability to play through contact. So we've discussed him a little bit through the season and rather than focus on the three point shot, I'm always focusing on what he's doing at the rim because the three-point shots largely are open. And so, first of all, you have to have the confidence to shoot those. And if you knock down a couple, maybe you can soften up the defense a little bit. So that's important. But he's always going to be able to get downhill because of his size. And then he's going to be able to use his gravity to pass the ball and find guys because he can he can make some passes that, let's face it, only a handful can in the league. But he also, I think the next step has to be ability to score at the rim, score through contact. He was five for seven at the rim yesterday and he got to the free throw line seven times. Now, two of them were for the flagrant, but that seven free throw attempts is an equal career high. Getting to the free throw line just isn't something that he's done over the first couple of seasons of his career, which is fine because he's so young, the physicality. But I think we've seen real growth this season and he was 57% at the rim as a rookie, 62% this year. So I think we'll start to see that continue to progress because he's got nice touch and obviously he's got the size. It was one of the things that he uh, put an emphasis on this past offseason, which was adding mm-hmm. size to his frame. Um, I think in that rookie season, uh, he settled a lot for floaters. And then while they still fall at a relatively decent rate, um, I think you can tell now he's he's getting to his spot, using his body to sort of create more space. Um, and then obviously he has that touch to, to finish. But that was that was something that was that was deliberate. That was by design him knowing that, okay, if this is the spot I'm going to get to, I need to be able to add size to my frame. If you look at his dad, Warikiri, uh, you know you know that there is the potential to add size to that frame. Um, and you can do that without losing the mobility of, of, of being a big guard. Um, and that's something that he did. And I think one of the more noticeable improvements throughout this season, which is just getting to the spot, bumping legally and and getting a shot at the rim. And so I just think it's such a it's such a more high percentage shot than that floater from like that 10 to 13 foot range, which we still see from time to time. But I, I think his, like you said, his ability to, to get on the rim and then finish through contact is such a difference maker. And I think it's only going to keep improving. It should, but nonetheless, it was exciting to see that in his first postseason game. The other Aussie in that game didn't see the floor. Dyson Daniels, just a quick note on his rookie season overall, because I think it's been spectacular and, the Pelicans have gone through a bunch of different injury stuff. Obviously, Zion, you mentioned that at the start of the podcast. I actually thought, because if you go back to the start of the season, the Pelicans were on fire and they did it with defense. And in the back end of the regular season, they were a top three defense over the last 15 games of the season. And I really thought that if Zion did come back and maybe he would have for the first round, I think they were an upset chance because I think this team is awesome. But the fact that this team is so awesome and Dyson Daniels still played 59 games, logged over a thousand minutes and got real defensive reps on some of the best players in the league. I think this is a huge success this rookie season for him. And I think he was above expectations. And I'm I'm surprised he didn't get any burn in that playing game because I think they had played him in important moments. Um and I just I wonder I always wonder what someone like Dyson Daniels could do if he was on a, a bad team with opportunity. You know, is would he put up, you know, a similar line to what Giddy put up last season with Oklahoma City? I think there's a real chance that that could have happened. Um, but I think the fact that he's been able to 
step into a role and, and basically just do his job, just what's needed of him um, with the Pelicans when they've had a pressure to win. Um, I think that's a really unique kind of experience to have. Um, and I, I think what we've seen from him, I think the shot is more real than I thought it was going to be coming in. Um, and I think him as a point of attack defender, especially, is I, I think that's going to be his calling card. And we knew that coming in, that defense was was the thing he held his hat on. Um, but I think just from the glimpses we've seen and contextually, it's important to know where the Pelicans were as far as how much they wanted to compete and how much rookies play for, for competitive teams. I think this was undoubtedly a success. And I just hope that there's the potential for more opportunity going forward because he's, he's clearly shown glimpses that he can be a really, really quality player in the NBA. Yeah, four of the five starters for the Pelicans played 38 minutes or more. So this was a super, super tight rotation. And ultimately, Josh Richardson playing the 17 minutes probably soaked up those minutes that Dyson Daniels could have got. But the one thing I will say, you wouldn't have seen Dyson Daniels whacking Josh Giddy in the nuts. So they should have gone <laughs> and put Dyson Daniels out on the floor for this game. Uh, it would have been fun to see I those. Mean, I mean, I was surprised that we didn't see... Like, just throw the kid out there and tell yeah. him, hey, go go and give him one assignment. Go stop Shea Gilders. Go stop Josh Giddy from getting 31 points. Uh, it just That just would have... Th- those two have matched up against each other for years, at, you know, in Victoria, at the Global Academy, to working out in LA uh, at Jordan Lawley's gym. They, if, you, if you want someone to stop this kid from getting a near triple, 30-point triple-double against you, maybe put the Australian on. All right. Let's keep it moving. So if you're a fan of Australian basketball, you're excited right now because there is, as we enter the postseason, two guys on rosters that are the favorites in their respective conference to win the whole damn thing. And in a perfect world, unless you're a fan of one of the other teams, in a perfect world, if you don't care who wins, (laughs) in a perfect world, if you don't care who wins, you could get an Aussie, Aussie matchup in the NBA finals where both guys are getting real minutes. I'm talking about Joe Ingles with Milwaukee and Jock Landau with Phoenix. Where would you prefer to start? Let's get to both of these guys. Let's start with Joe uh, because I think out of any Australian in the playoffs, I think Joe Ingles has the potential to have the biggest impact. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I've written something today. I'm about to send it through once we finish this podcast. Just on the journey for Joe. Easy, send it now. I can do it right now, but the podcast will really struggle through the middle portion. We're recording a podcast. We're, we're <laughs> but, recording a podcast now. You do you say you say your words. You're good. But Joe, it's more about the journey for Joe because it's worth noting that at the start of the season or in free agency, the Bucks really had no room to move with their salary cap and with the salary slots that they had to sign free agents. They literally had one salary slot to use outside of minimum deals. They retained all their guys. Most of their main key players were contracted. So they had one salary slot to use. And they chose to use it on Joe Ingles, who was about to turn 35, was only a couple of months into ACL rehab. So there was literally no guarantee that he was going to come back and be an impactful player in the postseason, which that's all the Bucks needed. He came back probably... Not in his mind. In Joe's mind, he thought he could come back in mid-December. But I think for most people of a player that age, came back ahead of schedule 11 months after the surgery, almost to the day. And maybe there was two or three games where he just got acclimatized. But geez, he's been really, really good offensively. And and he's going to play 15 to 20 minutes a night minimum on the team that had the best record in the NBA. It's been a remarkable comeback. And we, I feel like we knew. Basically... If he was going to come back healthy, and there was no reason to think that he wouldn't, then we knew that his skill set was just going to slot in really perfectly with that team across a bunch of different levels. You know, like we we talk about, all right, you have Giannis as the head of that snake and the attention he draws. What do you need? Oh, you just need guys who can widen the floor. Joe Ingles, you're a no-leave shooter, put you in the corner, they leave you. You know, he's shooting 50% from three over the past two months. Um, like that. That's... He's, Really impressive, and we know what he is as a shooter. He's demonstrated as a shooter. And then, hey, you need secondary playmaking. You don't trust Chris Middleton's health or anything like that. Cool, you have Joe Ingles playing that pick-and-roll game with Brook Lopez or with Giannis. And all of a sudden, you just have just really solid offensive options. You have versatility there. And then he's just really solid defensively too. So he was, he was just the obvious perfect fit. 
um, on top of the, the stuff that he brings culturally as well. And it was just a matter of if he was going to get healthy. And his game has never really been, at least lately, revolved around his athleticism or, or anything like that. So there was no reason to think anything was going to change. It was just like an obvious no-brainer signing. And it has clearly turned out to be an absolute home run. And he could be, it might be hyperbole, not the reason why they win a championship, but he's the sort of guy who could have those moments that can define a team's playoff run. Um, I think I'm confident in saying that. He's not He's not Giannis. He's not going to lead them. But he's. He, there will be a Joe Ingles game at some point, I think. Yeah, the thing that surprised me watching Joe is that his stats just kind of creep up on you every single night. And you'll just look at the box score at the end of the game and it's like, oh, yeah. Joe Ingles played 16 minutes. He had seven assists, one turnover. Like he just accumulates and creates excellent shots in the half court for this Bucks team that doesn't really have a true point guard. They play a little bit of a unique style, which it kind of lends itself to be that way when you've got a seven-footer who does a lot of the ball handling at the top of the key. But then, you know, Drew Holiday, Chris Milton do a lot of the um, ball handling. They're not a traditional point guard. So Joe kind of fits that mold. And he just, he's always been an elite pick and roll operator. But the way he just moseys on down the lane and he's got his left hand and maybe he'll throw this little left-handed lob to one of the big fellas for the box or maybe he'll just get a little scoop lay in and drop it in. Like he just still plays at his own pace as he always has. And he described himself as old and slow. I'm not willing to say that, even if you know sometimes it looks that way on the screen. <laughs> but he is just so effective. And I think his relationship with Brooke Lopez in particular in the half court has really helped. The Bucks were round 23rd in offensive efficiency at the turn of the new year. Joe Ingles came back and Chris Milton came back. So that is obviously a massive part of this. But uh, post-All-Star break, they've had the sixth-ranked offense. And those two guys in combination have been a major, major part of that. And the Bucks' offense really has been the thing that's let them down in the postseason years gone by, even when they won the title. So, yeah, it, it's been it's been really fun to see Joe out there having fun. And the other thing I'll say is he definitely... Uh, he'll he'll bring a little point of difference. This is a pretty quiet Bucks team. Joe Ingles has already gotten into it with Chris Paul a little bit. He's gotten into it with Pat Bev. There'll be a Joe Ingles moment where he is just pissing someone out, uh, someone else off on the floor as well, which is going to be fun to watch. I mean, that's the other underrated thing that he brings, which is just experience in these moments. He's not um, scared. You know, we saw him. No, uh, and like Joe Ingles is, and I say this with the utmost respect, an absolute smart ass. When he's playing, you don't want to play against him, especially if you're, let's say, Paul George, and you don't want Joe Ingles' dry Australian humor coming at you every single second of that game. Um, so I think that's well, the the Bucks have they've won a championship with this with this core, and and they've been there before. There is clearly so much value in bringing someone like Joe Ingles in, who's been in these moments before, isn't rattled by the moment. Um, and so when you need him to hit a big shot or get a big defensive stop. You can trust him because he's not this. The, the moment doesn't phase him. Um, it, it's again, I, I can't stress how much it was just the most obvious sign. When when it when it happened, it was like, oh, like of course this fits. As in, this fits everybody. Um, and I know we'll talk about some of the other teams, including teams that Australians are on. Uh, I I don't see a team getting the Bucks in seven games, um, mm. just just by nature of what they do defensive and and i and i know i'm saying this and kane's not saying this what a twist um but i just i just don't see a team getting through them defensively i just think drew holiday is elite as well i just i just trust what they do more than any other team i think bucks and Suns played in the 2021 finals remember phoenix were up to zip there and there's a few interesting intertwined little storylines here as well. Jay Crowder was on the Suns for that NBA Finals. He's now on the Bucks, and he's been a nice addition for this team as well at the trade deadline. Uh, Kevin Durant was on the Brooklyn Nets. The Bucks beat the Nets in seven games. In overtime in game seven in the second round, now he's on the Suns. And you know, quite clearly, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, I, I feel like they would like to to get one back on, on the Bucks there. So there's some nice little storylines. It would be a really, really fun NBA Finals, and at the moment, at least if you look at, at you know, the, the predictions, the odds, all those types of things, they are the two favorites in their uh, respective conferences right now. So Jock Landau, and I caught up with him earlier this week. There's a bunch of stuff on ESPN.com.au on the YouTube 
channel and jock is always awesome and he gave up about 22 23 minutes and we got into a whole bunch of stuff the fact that he's about to make his nba postseason debut where he was when kevin durant was traded to the suns and that's a hilarious story that you should all go check out it's also on this podcast (laughs) feed as well so anyway catch up on that whole conversation but if you think about the difference 12 months makes last year he was on the spurs team struggling for minutes it was sporadic whether he was in the rotation or out of the rotation the spurs weren't really even in playing contention they kind of were but no one really took that seriously and to now come to a contender and the one thing that just stands out for me he did it last year with san antonio and he's done it this year with phoenix you put this man on the floor he's going to produce he just produces when he's on the floor and he gets it done in ways that teams love he runs the floor hard he crashes the glass and does all the little things and I think he's just fit what this team does. I think he plays a pick and roll with Chris Paul super well. Um, I, I don't want to underestimate the fact that, uh, and I, I don't know how much stock to put into it, but he led Melbourne United to an NBL championship. So, and and he's been part of, you know, playoff, you know, really intense playoff environments in Europe as well with, with yeah. Zalgaris and, and with, um, uh, with Partizan as well. So, you know, he's been in, you know, high pressure, environments before and so as much as the nba is a different beast it's it's you know i'd be more scared to play in front of a european crowd than an nba crowd and so he's been in these sorts of moments before so there is value there um and i think that could come in handy when we're talking about that front court rotation which is still a little bit volatile right now right now where it's deandre ayton with the bulk of those minutes at the five but it seems as though multi williams has been leaning on bismack biombo for, for the other minutes at the five but I think there's a chance that we could see some stuff that's, you know, largely matchup based, maybe just who's performing at the moment. And I think there's just trust. Uh, well, there should be trust that when if you put Jock Landau on, he'll be able to produce um, really effectively on both ends. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me, even though the rotation currently seems like he's maybe sort of one foot out of it. It wouldn't surprise me if he's just thrust straight back into it. So this season, he's played 69 games in the regular season, over 1,000 minutes, which is significant. Again, on a contending team yeah. with a with, you know max player or thereabouts uh, playing the five former number one overall pick in DeAndre Ayton. Last year with the Spurs, he only played around 50 games and 500 minutes. So he's doubled his actual on-court time, which is just huge. And the thing that stands out, yeah. you talk about the trust. They should trust uh, Jock Landau because if you look at the advanced stuff and both Bismack, Biombo and Jock Landau have actually, it's pretty similar. Landau's actually played more than Biombo. But if you look at the advanced numbers, the Suns are plus 7.9 per 100 possessions with Landau on the floor. They're plus 3.1 with Biombo on the floor. So I think if at the start of the season, you looked at it and you said, okay, well, what's the differences between these two guys? Well, Landau's a different player to Biombo because he's going to split, space the floor. He can get in those pick and roll situations and he can, he can flare out to the three-point line and knock down a shot. Now, he struggled this year. He's at 24% from three. He hasn't quite been able to find that range, which I, you know, would be a source of frustration for him, no doubt. But defensively, you say, okay, well, can he hold up? Because Biombo's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. He can defend. But the defensive numbers for the team are, again, better with Landau on the floor. So I asked Jock, are you, have you been frustrated by this battle? What's the competitive nature like? He said, no, no, we get along totally fine. He said, when... Bismack plays. I just have to remind myself, don't get frustrated. Be a good teammate. You played major minutes this year. Don't get sucked into your own ego, which I think is a great attitude to have. And he's always open and honest about that. But I think he's going to play. I think he'll play in this matchup against the Clippers. Yeah. And again, we talk about him like a, a second year player, but he's 27. Nah, he's um, been around. Yeah. Like there is, like he's, he's been around and he's gone through experiences that have sort of, uh, prepared him for this sort of moment. Um, and you talk about that that three-point percentage. I think I would have to check, but he, he started really, really poorly from downtown. And so yes. my feel would be that the, the second half of the season, he'd be hovering around 40%, not not the most volume, um, but it's it's it hovers more around what we expect from Jock Landau based on what we've seen through the NBL and throughout uh, his international basketball. And so, um, and, and compared to, to last season with the Spurs as well. So, I think that's maybe slightly deceiving. I think he's better there. Um, and yeah, the, the thing is, I just wonder like, what's 
What do you, what's the difference between Landau and Biombo? As in, what are you getting different differently uh, stylistically? Um, like because the sense is that Bismack Biombo might be a more reliable defender or maybe just a better rim protector. Um, but I don't know if the advanced metrics bear that out as far as who's actually more is the which which lineup is more effective defensively. Um, because my feel is that that's still Landau, and then Landau at the very least gives you a you know a post target on the other end. It gives you sort of like a creation option in the post. So I, I wonder in this matchup, especially against the Clippers, you know, are you do you want to put sort of like for like with Landau on on Zubats? Like, is that a thing that you want to do? I'm I'm intrigued at the the decision make. What goes into the decision making for for who gets the bulk of those backup five minutes? So Biombo did come up with a knee injury against the Lakers last week. I think from what I read that he's going to be okay to go at least anyway. So they'll have the option, but post all-star break, I thought, and this is, you know, you just throw out a, a random question and then you talk long enough to give me a time to look up the answer for you. So that, that is why we work well together. We, so, works, we work so well together. So post all-star break, Doc Landau, 257 minutes. Uh, Biombo 232 minutes. So again, they've just they've really just split it throughout the season. So there's there's not much of a difference there. Jock Landau after the All Star break in 18 games, 40 percent from three, which is what you said. How many attempts do you think he's taken from three out of 91 total field goal attempts? Uh 40. Crazy. 10. So that gives you an idea of, really? of how low that volume has been. Now, keep in mind that Kevin Durant has only played eight games for the Suns. By the way, they're 8-0 when Kevin Durant plays uh, so far. <laughs> so keep that in mind entering the postseason. That's but good. That's heaps a, good. A high, high, high percentage of his shots are coming from two-point range. A lot of it is going to be him crashing the offensive glass for putbacks. Some of it's going to be him rolling to the basket. Uh, but when you're playing with Chris Paul, as you mentioned, but then Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, he's out there to set screens and crash the glass run in transition, get those easy baskets. It, none of this is easy, but as far as like what he has to focus on, pretty simplified role when you're playing along Hall of Famers like he is. That's true. Um, and yeah, I think that's, I think he sort of plays that role with the boomers too. Yeah, it's uh, perfect, by the way. Of, it's not a bad thing because if you yeah. think about how he's going to have a long career in the NBA, it's going to be doing exactly this. And that's why it's a big opportunity for him this postseason because if he has just plays really solid basketball. He'll, he'll set himself up for sure. He'll get a multi-year deal. I'm sure of it. Yeah, because like, that's the thing. If he's your, let's say he's your fifth best, let's say starter, but like the fifth best guy on the floor, as long as he brings energy, as long as he rim runs, crashes the boards, then that is the value you need. Um, I think that's, that's the thing people forget on you know how to actually gauge what a good basketball player is. It's not like dropping 20 doesn't, really give any indication on you know how good a basketball player is it's more how do you impact winning on a team and with a team that has chris paul and Devin booker and kevin durant and all these guys you you just need someone who's going to do the dirty work and i think jock has shown that over the past few years with the boomers and then this season with the suns that he can absolutely do that um and it's the sort of thing again we speak about joe ingles and the fact that he will have his moments there is the potential for Jock Landau, Landau to have his moments. You can see, you know, a, a Suns home game with him being that energy guy, maybe getting a double-double because he's crashing the board so hard. You know, he has the chance to to turn the tide for this for this Suns team to a point where, you know, he can bring so much energy that he can lift them to, to maybe a win or two. All right, I reckon we can rip through the other Aussies that are in the postseason because certainly based on what we've seen during the regular season, it doesn't think, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a big role for them. Albeit they're in the chance to to win an NBA title and crazy things can happen in games and you get thrust in there. So Dally at the moment is recovering uh, from a right index finger fracture, which can be a tricky injury to come back from. The Kings have been awesome all season long. They enter the number three seed and they play Golden State. So a little California highway series there and it's going to be fun to watch. I know that for damn sure. But Dally overall... I think he did exactly what we thought he was going to do. Mark Brown brought him in because this is a young team. He's going to be in an awesome locker room presence. He can come in and play spot minutes here or there, but ultimately he's going to teach this team the habits that they need to be a winner. And they've done that. They've reached the postseason for the first time in 17 years. 
But Dele only played 200 minutes here. So even if, you know, he's healthy, I don't think that there's a major role uh, here for Dele in the postseason. But nonetheless, incredible, you know, story to add to his his career and everything he's done to be a part of this historic Sacramento Kings team. But even the thing is, even if, let's say, you know, heaven forbid injuries happen or he there's, he's forced to play, he's still shown, even throughout the season, that if you have to give him, like I said, five to 12 minutes in a game, he will be effective in that he will, he, he would guard, he will guard well. He will, um, he will be your floor general in a really effective way. Like he is still able to contribute if, if needed. Um, but that just hasn't been his role. And I think his role has just, like you said, just be a nice guy. And it sounds so simplistic, but there's so much value in not having assholes on your team. And if you speak, you, we, like we speak with players all the time. You you can stay in the league if you're just a nice guy, um, and the, obviously you have the, the requisite talent as well. Um, if you have enough talent and you're a good guy, you can stick in the league for a while. And that's why Delhi, even after what I thought was a pretty average season with the Melbourne United, was still able to get a, a role in the NBA because he's still capable and he's a really nice guy and teammate. And I might that might be diminishing what he does basketball wise, but it's it's I feel like it's just a compliment to his ability to to be a teammate and to stay in in a in a league. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you want a good sort of guide, like a good sort of like guiding voice behind this this Sacramento team that hasn't been to the playoffs in 17 years, it's Matthew Dovadova. I'm not going to try and guess what he's thinking in his head because I haven't spoke to him. But if you just ask me to make a prediction, because I know there's a lot of stuff out there, Melbourne United, you know, in a perfect world, they'd probably take him back. But I don't, if you're the Sacramento Kings and you're still going to have this young roster next year, Mike Brown's probably going to be coach of the year. He's going to be back next year. I'm just, I've thought about this the last few months. And if you want a veteran that's going to be an absolute steady presence, as you said, can still play spot minutes because you know he's going to keep himself in perfect shape. And imagine if you're Darren Fox or any of these guards and every single practice you got to go up against Dali. I mean, it's great for those guys as well. <laughs> so I just can't understand, unless Dali wanted to come home, I, I didn't see why he wouldn't be back in Sacramento next year and, and get another minimum deal, which, by the way, is about it just, I think it's a tick under three mil Australian. Yeah. And that, so keep in mind, that is at the very least three times what he would make in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Um, from just, just as some reporting, I guess, the latest I was told was that United. Uh, still trying to engage in those conversations. We're still in like a wait and see period. Nothing is nothing is done. Nothing is close yet. They do have a desire to sign Matthew Delvadova. Um, but in my mind, I would put a higher likelihood on him returning to Sacramento than I would him signing in the NBL next season. All right, just a quick note. So Jack White, Denver number one seed in the Western Conference. He's been just an absolute beast in the G League. Uh, got some chances yeah. in the NBA as well. A two-way player at the moment. They're not eligible to play in, in, in the postseason, but he'll be there around the team. You know, hopefully the Nuggets go on an extended run here because he's going to have the best seat in the house. I'm sure he'd be desperate to be out there on the floor, <laughs> but he'll be there on the bench and he'll be around this team. And I think overall, a really successful year for Jack, uh, first one in the system. Yeah, there's, there's not too much to say. The, the word that I get is that the Nuggets really like him. Yep. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if he... Finds his way on the roster next season, and that's that's the goal for him to to stay yep. in the NBA. And and I think there's there's a good chance that happens because he, like you said, has been absolutely killing it in the G League. Um, but yeah, he won't play in these playoffs. Um, if the Nuggets do go all the way, then he will walk away with a ring. And I mean, if this if if he gets to August and he has a championship ring and a a roster spot in the NBA, what a year! Like that'd be a, that'd be elite for him. I think he would be pretty happy with that. I would have to uh, I would have to imagine. All right, Stephen Adams, Memphis Grizzlies, number two seed in the West, been an interesting year. But overall, if you look at the standings with everything and the injuries, never had significant injuries throughout the season. Fifty one and thirty one is a pretty remarkable uh, result for the Memphis Grizzlies. And Stephen Adams was having a monstrous year, the best offensive rebounder in the entire league. Uh, he's been battling knee yep. stuff now. Last game was in January 23, and according to Adrian Wojnarowski here in the last couple of weeks, it doesn't look like he's going to be a part of the postseason, which is absolutely a shame for this Memphis team because if you 
just look at the impact he had on the rebounding of this team. When he went down, this was the second, and this is by rebound percentage, he, they were the second best rebounding team in the entire NBA. Post All-Star break, they've been the 24th ranked def, uh, re, total rebounding percentage uh, team. And Steven Adams like, is, is the reason. Yeah. Um, I think people underestimate the level of shot creation that comes with offensive rebounding. Um, you know, you are creating extra possessions for your team. That is an unbelievable thing to have. And so they they clearly missed him. Um, it just sucks because he was in the middle of the best season of his career and it's just a PCL sprain and he's ruled out more than likely for the rest of the playoffs. Um, I think that the Grizzlies are still good. They still have Ja Morant. They still have Jaron Jackson Jr. Like they have great pieces, but I just think, I think they could have been a legitimate contender if Stephen Adams was there. Again, someone who's been there before, someone who I think gives you those sort of intangibles you need in a playoff series. Um, yeah, it just sucks. It just sucks for him and for them because um, he was clearly going to be like, unbelievably important for them. You worried about the Lakers in the first round? I wouldn't, wouldn't say that. <laughs> I absolutely wouldn't say that. Okay, I like it. Some people are getting carried away right now and the Lakers are a title contender. I'm not sure about that. Uh no. <laughs> Last couple of names we need to get to get uh, to here from an Australian perspective. Our friends over at the Brooklyn Nets. Now, Ben, and you know, the, the big shame about this, and there is lots of things that are a shame about Ben Simmons, and that is a whole other conversation. I think we can just skip over it for today. But they're playing Philadelphia. <laughs> he's he's not going to go, is he? I doubt I know he's, he's dealing with his back. I think he's away from the team dealing with his back issue. Um I, w- I would have wanted to see that. Um, it's just, yeah, look, I don't know what... I feel like Ben Simmons deserves his own sort of dedicated pod to go through what's going on there. Um, or or alternatively, no pod at all. Um, I just... Yeah, he's... So what we've got with that Nets team, Ben Simmons dealing with his back injury. He won't be playing. Patty Mills really fallen down in that rotation. More than likely won't see him play. Um Two Australians on that Nets team. Uh, Nets team that is like really cool. Like Mikael Bridges has been awesome. They do it by committee. Like they, they've been able to make things work. Even we thought that they might just stumble after getting rid of KD and Kyrie and all that. And they've been really good. I thought Patty Mills had actually been quite solid, but I just think that the priorities lay elsewhere and trying to make, maybe develop other guys. Um, but yeah, it's just. There's two Australians who I just don't think will... Obviously, Ben won't, but I don't think Paddy will see the floor either. I'm always the optimist with Ben as... Oh, I'll try to be. And <laughs> I would have... If he was playing, I would have come into this series thinking, he can have some moments here. This can be the start of the resurrection. But clearly, he's been dealing with stuff all season long. He, he just hasn't looked healthy. So as you said, that's a conversation we can have uh, another day. But get that back right, man. Hopefully he gets that back right because, yeah, he, he looked like an old man out on the floor at times this season with he, just his lack of ability to move the way that we've seen him move in the past. So it's definitely a shame. And as for Paddy, yeah, it's been fascinating. The one thing that I would say, and you pointed to it, when he has got his chance to play, I mean, he's had some pretty big games this season. So big pitch up. Firstly, I think that he'll have a couple of moments in this series where they need to put him out there and he'll knock down a couple of threes because he's always stays ready, as we know. A true pro. But to me, he still looks like he's got plenty in the tank. Now, I don't know what that means, you know, in the future, but when we put on our Australian hats and look ahead to the World Cup in August, September, from what I've seen this year of Paddy on the floor, yeah, he's still going to be the same guy with the Boomers in a couple of months' time. He might even be better because he's yeah. going to be extremely well rested. He's going to be fresh, yeah. Unbelievably fresh. Um but I do, yeah, it's, it's weird. He's, I, it's his to a point where he's dropped out of the rotation. Too many the similar Nets, guys, Ox. They've just got too many similar just, guys. And Seth Curry is probably the one that's taken his that, And that's right. And and I, I guess they, I assume they're like Cam Thomas, but even he gets DMPs. Um, but there may be a time in this series, like you said, where they need a spark plug. They need someone, they need like a vet who's been there before. And I think he's that guy. 
Um, and it's not just offensively either. It's He can also be a pest defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is a chance that they might say, okay, we need that version of that little guard that we've got. Um, I'm un- unfortunately just pessimistic based on, you know, the Nets and what they've, when they've been trying to win games, he just has not been playing at all. He's been way down the rotation. Um, hopefully that changes uh, in an environment where Patty Mills has shown that he can be really effective. Yeah, no doubt. Everyone wants to see him get out in the postseason yet again. He's got a long history of postseason moments, so hopefully we see a couple more of those this year. But it's going to be fun. So as I said, we're recording this Friday morning, but from Saturday onwards, it's going to be chaos for the next couple of months, Olgs, with the NBA postseason, starting with Josh Giddy in the playing game to get the eighth seed and to face the Denver Nuggets. That's 11.30 a.m. Saturday morning, and then the first round tips off on Sunday and rolls right through. So it's going to be nonstop. This is the first time we've been able to go in-depth in the NBA, but it's been a massive year for the Aussies over there. And as I said, I mean, I was just fired up last night. Like, it gets you excited as someone, if you're a fan, which, you know, I don't care if I work in it. I'm a fan. And (laughs) seeing these guys thrive is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm excited. I know we get really kind of drilled down in NBL stuff and, you know, the World Cup's coming up, so there'll be a focus on that at some point. But for these next few months, uh, hopefully the Australians perform extremely well and we get to keep covering them pretty extensively until the very end of these playoffs. And I've, I have a feeling that for at least one or two guys, we'll be able to do that. So stay tuned. All right, Alex, you fly back to Sydney safely, my friend, and uh, continue doing your fine work, which everyone should check out at ESPN.com.au. I mentioned some of the stuff that's been up there this week. The Jock Landau feature with myself. Alex has got all the NBL news, particularly the total team spent. Check that out because that is fascinating stuff if you're a fan of the NBL. And what I would say is just keep your eye out on Alex over the next, let's say, four to five days because a little tease. There'll be some stuff. There'll be some stuff over the next four to five days. So just, <laughs> just keep an eye out there is, is what I would say, Alex. You've got a little smile on your face because uh, I know you've still got some fine work to come. i got a smile on my, on my face because I'm about to get out of Brisbane is why. No, I'm not getting out of Brisbane. Whoa! I actually really enjoy Brisbane. <laughs> nah, nah. I like Brisbane a lot. If it, Ask anyone who I've spoken to. Brisbane's maybe like my second favorite city in Australia. I'm just excited to go back to this. Hey, a lot. He's backpedaled there, hasn't he? No, you're in a hotel. We know what you're trying to say. You're in a hotel. You want to get I'm home. in a hotel. I, I scoot around South Bank all day when I'm not watching under-18s basketball. I'm yeah. having a great time here, but I would like to go to my home. Yeah, we love Brisbane. We love the Bullets. And let's wrap up this podcast and uh, get ourselves <laughs> mentally prepared to watch some NBA postseason basketball over the weekend. Enjoy it. For Kane Pippen and Olga Norlich, we'll catch you next week. Bye, everybody.